All right, welcome back to the big program. Just after 9 o'clock in Edmonton, let's talk a little NFL football with two Monday night games. One of them, Tennessee at Miami, and we welcome in uh, Joel Rexrode from The Athletic. Uh, Joel, you're with Kevin Carius and Olympic gold medalist Lori Ann Munzer. Welcome to Sports 1440. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Great to be talking with you. Well, can you first off, Joel, two games on a Monday night and both starting at the same time, is there a specific reason why you've heard this? Well, they've done this a little bit more. Um, you know, it's been a it's been a thing where they've. I think this year, not the opener, but the second weekend of it. It's kind of been an opening weekend thing with the NFL, uh, but now they throw this one randomly in later in the season. I, I don't have a great, you know, a reason for you. I mean, obviously, the NFL is trying to do more prime time. If they could, they would take over every night of the week, and they'd get the best ratings as well. If they did, but. Yeah, I don't have a great answer on that. Um, if we could get the Dolphins and the Packers to play, we'd have a good uh, game. But Giants, of course, have been huge disappointments this year, so we might have a couple stinkers tonight. Yeah, you know, Miami's playing really well. We know all about what they can do on offense. So how can Tennessee handle them tonight? Yeah, well, it's, it's going to be tough. You know, Tennessee has a lot of deficiencies, including a bad secondary, which is missing its best cornerback, or at least most talented cornerback, Christian Fulton. So that's a really bad, you know, that, that times out really poorly for playing against, uh, you know, Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddell, and Tua Tagovailoa. Uh, so, and meanwhile, the one way the Titans, the Titans were supposed to be elite up front defensively this year. They haven't been, but at times that has been the best aspect of the team, and they're missing their best player, 98 Jeffrey Simmons. So, I mean, I think the, the, the Titans' formula is to have, like, 11-minute drives that end in touchdowns and for Derrick Henry to have about 300 yards rushing. If they can manage that, <laughs> then I think all. they got a chance. But I think there's a real chance they get blown out in this game. Joe, it's Lorianne here. Um, welcome to the show. With the quarterback missing, who's stepping in to, you know, help out here or raise the game? Yeah, well, so so for well for the Titans, of course, you know they, they do they will have like the rookie Will Levis is taking over at quarterback for uh, for Ryan Tannehill. So um, and he's you know he has been he was of course second round pick of the Titans. They moved up to get him, um, a guy some people thought might be you know might be a high pick in the draft. And finally, when Ryan Tannehill got hurt, high ankle sprain, uh, that gave. Levis the opportunity and, and then the Titans I think the Titans have switched to Levis in part because really this season is a wash. I mean I'd say at least half of the Titans fan base, I mean this is an unscientific uh, you know deduction here but are rooting for them to lose now so that they can get a higher draft pick. Right now they're number six. If they were to lose tonight and the Giants were to win, the Titans would be number five. Uh, so, so because they've kind of moved on to, I mean, this is just this team is not making the playoffs. It's all but mathematically assured. You know, going to the rookie Will Levis has been the move, and I think it's the right move. And I would say overall, he has been. It's been encouraging. I think he has a chance to be a very good quarterback in this league. The Titans have the worst offensive line in the NFL. I would argue it's certainly bottom three, and uh, and that's made it really challenging for for young Will Levis. 
Joe Rexroad, our guest on Sports 1440, covers the Tennessee Titans and the NFL for the Athletic. Uh, just by your previous answer regarding Derrick Henry, he's everything's okay. He was in concussion protocol, uh, Joe. But what about also Ty J. Spears? The rookie's been great whenever he's been called upon. Yeah, Ty J. Spears is a really talented player. Uh, they drafted him in the third round. A lot of people were upset with that draft pick because, you know, there, there were still Titans fans who thought, and I, I mean, I thought this team would be competitive this year, so... They go second-round quarterback to replace Tannehill. They go third-round J. Spears running back to replace Derrick Henry. And it's like, why don't you guys get some players to help them now and maybe you'll have a better season. And, you know, obviously it's been a disappointing season, but J. Spears has been a bright spot. But Derrick Henry's been really good too. And like you said, concussion protocol, he got pulled from last week's game against the Colts. Um, you know, they have the spotters on the sideline. They pulled him aside, and then he, he was not, you know, he was basically not permitted to go back in the game. So usually when that happens, uh, that basically means the next week you can count it out for a player. But Derrick Henry was in the locker room after the game, you know, talking with his teammates and stuff, seemed totally fine. And then they they checked him, and he did not have symptoms. That's a very kind of rare case. I mean, I was asking Mike very well, how does that happen that you get, you know, that you get, like, pulled from a game – but then, and you're in protocol, but then you don't have symptoms. But the reality is it can happen. They're going to be very cautious during games, and, and then they're going to have a more thorough, uh, you know, analysis of the player um, after that. So uh, Derrick Henry is going to be okay to go tonight. He said last week he was, he was all fine. He had no issues. And, you know, they're going to need him to have a great game. But, yeah, Ty J. Spears, I think, is going to be the primary back next year. It's possible they could – re-sign Derrick Henry. He will be a free agent. I think he's going to hit the open market. And I think, unfortunately, the reality for running backs in this league is he's not going to find the market he hopes to find at 30 years old. You know, And he's been really outspoken about how running backs are treated. Does that have any effect of where he signs what he does moving forward? Yeah, and I mean, I, it, good on him for, you know, for kind of being outspoken. Derrick Henry is a very soft-spoken guy by nature does not get out there, is not on social media much, things like that. But, yeah, this summer he, he and some other running backs kind of basically they had like a big Zoom call. It was, but it was almost like a support session, you know. It's like, my goodness, uh, you can be at the height of your powers. You can be, uh, you know, young, healthy, and top of the world in terms of a running back, and you're still like, you know, the market is still going down while every other position it's it's – going rapidly up it's it's uh so you know does that help him i don't think so now i think that it's been it was good for those guys to kind of do that and talk about it and get it out there but the reality is i mean the market is going to be what it is and so i i hope i'm wrong mm-hmm. for derrick henry and i hope he can get like a two-year you know i don't know 15 million dollar deal 20 million dollars i think is probably Unrealistic, but but I think it's probably more like a year for four or five million. I mean, it's sad for someone who has been as great as he is, but the reality is, you can go draft a good young running back and pay the rookie wage, and then after three, four, five years, you move on to the next low, you know, uh, rookie wage running back and go from there. That's how most teams do it now. It's almost like, yeah, as you said, Joe, you need the running backs union to get involved here. That's how crazy it is, <laughs> right? Um, and they've talked about, you know, they've talked about trying to get in, you know, like change the language in the CBA and everything. I, I just, I don't see how that's feasible, but you know what? I give them credit for 
trying to talk it out and figure something out. Yeah, Joe uh, Rexroad from the Athletic covers the Tennessee Titans and all things the NFL. Uh, Joe, across the league, what did you make of the end of the Kansas City Buffalo game, and uh, subsequently what happened after the game with post game comments uh, from the uh, head coach Andy Reid and then Pat Mahomes of the Chiefs? Yeah, you know, I've got to say, initially that play, first of all, it was just an amazing play by Travis Kelsey. And you're like, oh, my goodness, what a classic finish to this game. And then that's the call. And so my reaction was probably a lot like this. Like, are you kidding me? Offsides on the offense? What, what, that, when is that ever called? And so, you know, I, I think Patrick Mahomes was overly emotional, and he kind of lost it. But Andy Reid, I can never recall him. And I'm sure it's happened, but he's been in this league for a long time. I can't recall Andy Reid having a post-game press conference where he was complaining about calls, but he was pretty vocal about it. So I was like, okay, they've got it. I mean, I, I was kind of like on their side. And then I saw, you know, some of the still photos of work at Arias Tony lined up, and it's like, how did you not ever look to see that you were like a yard past the line? I mean, it's just – and look, the reality is it was said before the year that is a point of emphasis. It's a tw- uh, there have been 12 now of those calls this year, you know, offensive offsides. You know, not a false start, but just lining up offsides. There were three all of last season. So it, it is a point of emphasis. It's a ridiculous way for a play like that to be wiped. But I think people should be more mad at Kadarius Tony than the officials, mm-hmm. frankly. Yeah, I, I think that's what everyone's talking about more so they don't understand how Tony could be so oblivious to what was going on. And, and maybe... Again, we were talking about it this morning, Joe, earlier. The fact that he maybe was so focused on the fact that he was going to be getting this, you know, lateral from Travis Kelsey that he was just oblivious to where he was lined up. Could be, yeah. If that was, and that's the thing, I still haven't, I know, I haven't had, I haven't seen confirmation that that was actually the play call or if it was uh, Kelsey freelancing. If, if Either way, I mean, I, I love it if it's a call and I love Kelsey's awareness, if not, but. You know, Kadarius Tony has, I mean, he's made a lot of mistakes this year for the Chiefs uh, in previous games, too. I mean, it's kind of along with the theme of this season, which is that Patrick Mahomes has just had very little help from his receivers. And I think that's potentially going to be their undoing. You know, they mm-hmm. won it all last year in their first year without Tyree Kill. And it's kind of like, hey, give that guy anybody and he's going to make it work. But. I think we're seeing this year, you know, it helps to have elite receivers too, and certainly receivers who, you know, can line up on sides. <laughs> yeah, no question about that. Joe, one last one. I know you got to get going, but what did you make of uh, Dallas and Philly? Now Cowboys slotted in number two in Philly. They could be they could be the worst 10-3 and three team going. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they have really uh, um, issues. You know, I, I'm impressed with Dallas and how they play. Dallas is a very good team. Dak Prescott's probably the MVP leader right now. But at the same time, I've seen Dallas go to San Francisco and get absolutely outclassed in every way. So I think the Niners are the best team in the NFL. And I think the Eagles, I think you're right. I think they're a very flawed 10-3 team that has won a lot of close games and doesn't really have that many impressive wins. Their defense really has taken a step back this year. Uh, And, you know, Jalen Hurts has as well. So, I mean, last night he had a couple – great passes that he needs help from his receivers but yeah I think the Eagles are are fading a bit and I think we may be looking at a Cowboys Niners rematch hopefully if so it'll be a better game yeah without the tush push Philly could be seven and six 
<laughs> That's right. <laughs> the entirety of their yeah. contribution to football. To exactly. Yeah. I know you got to get running, Joe, but re- really appreciate you hopping on. Uh, we'll chat soon. Enjoy the games tonight. Okay, folks. Great talking to you. Really appreciate it. Take care. Joe Rexroad, the athletic, covers the Tennessee Titans. So that Sunday night football game last night, Lorianne, was. I mean, Dallas is playing so well at home. Mm-hmm. And as he said, Dak Prescott, probably the favorite for MVP right now. But Dak Prescott's got like 20 touchdowns at home, two picks, that's it. So Dallas vaults ahead of Philly in the NFC playoff picture. And San Fran is number one ranked in the conference right now. So mm-hmm. I know like... NFL, uh, it's harder for you to kind of, because you said to me one time, there's like games all day. Like, well, there was 12 <laughs> of them on yesterday, and I'm going, ah, which one to choose? <laughs> I've then, only got one screen. Yes. And then, I think you said to Duke uh, last week, so what do you do? Like, how many games do you watch? Duke goes, all of them. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's a hard one to keep track of, mm-hmm. and there's just so much great sports going on. It's just... You know, I was I was watching some of the highlights. Joe Flacco from the Cleveland Browns, three touchdowns. Three weeks ago, he was sitting on his couch watching football, and he's in the game playing now. And it's just that's how quick everything can change, literally. But having an idea of what you want to do, it's just amazing watching these players perform literally at their level and sometimes you know with what's been going on with the chiefs in terms of you know the i don't know we'll call them the drops um is where is the player's mind the athlete's mind are they overthinking it are they underthinking it are they just right on the game and you can literally see it happening and unfolding just before it happens when we come back two more olympic gold medals in the uh, building, in the show, on the show, as we uh, check in with Katrina LeMay-Don, two-time Olympic gold medalist and our headliner of the day for Mr. Reuter. That's coming uh, up right after the break. Kevin Carries, Lorianne Munzer on Sports 1440. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the big program. So excited to bring in our next guest of the day and our headliner of the day, brought to you by Mr. Reuter. They are sports fans like all of our listeners and are pumped that Sports Talk Radio is back. For all your plumbing needs, you can go to Mr. Reuter. .ca as we welcome in two-time Olympic gold medalist Katrina Lemaydon. Katrina, you're with Kevin Carries and another former Olympic gold medalist, Laurieann Munzer. Welcome to Sports 1440. Good morning. Thank you so much. I think I'm just going to take the next 10 minutes off and you and Laurieann can just shoot the breeze. How's that sound? <laughs> Good morning, Katrina. Is it, is it too early to pour a beer? And uh... <laughs> <laughs> Never too early for that. Then we can just chat. We can chat openly. No problem. Oh. So um, how you been keeping? I mean, I, I, I know you have such a good connection with Lorianne being, you know, Olympic gold medalist two time for you. And Lorianne, of course, won in uh, 2004 in, in Greece. But just what about a, a connection between the two of you? Just touch on that, uh, Katrina, and then Lorianne, you can pony off that. Beautiful. Yeah, you know, it's been interesting because I think way back sort of when we were starting, Canada didn't do a great job at connecting athletes. We would sort of meet after we retired and even athletes from winter sports. I mean, I met a skier that I'd gone to three Olympics with. We didn't meet until after we'd both retired. And now we're doing a much better job at connecting people. Social media helps with that, but also just events. And so Lorianne and I have connected at various times and it's just, it's a mindset of, of understanding what we've gone through and 
it's a bit of a different world. It's a bit of a different, um, you know, we choose this, that crazy world <laughs> and there's many similarities to business, but it's just, it's just different and it's hard for people to really understand it until they've been a part of it. I would have to agree on that. And I think it's the events afterwards. You don't always have the time when you're traveling, when you're training, when you're racing, we're in different parts of the country or we're in totally different parts of the world. Um, you know, speak, speak, to the, speak to it if you can. When you were training and then racing, where, like, what were you really thinking about? You know, was it the big Olympic game or were there different milestones in between? Walk us through that. Well, I start to sweat with stress already thinking about it. You know, it's it's a battle, and I think it's a battle constantly because your goal as an Olympic athlete are the games. So, you know, it's every four years, and you know, similar to yours, mine is 37 seconds. So you've one chance every four years, and that's it. But, of course, every year then you have world championships, you have world cups. But, it, it, you know, and the training plan is set for peaking at different times during the year but obviously your focus is there but you know I look back and there's certain parts that I miss about it the simplicity of the training um you know it's life is so busy now and you have a million things going on but the simplicity is kind of beautiful but it's also I mean the stress is nothing like you know, I'll ever experience again especially when I look back at 2002 because nobody had defended and that to me still sort of brings up joy, but a lot of anxiety. And that's what I like to sort of help people with is sort of, you know, how do you deal with that? Because it is, it's, you know, one second can sort of not change your life. I don't like that perspective, but change the outcome of how you view possibly yourself. It's true. And and I can agree, agree with so much of what you're saying, like the level of stress, whether it's the NHL, whether it's the NFL, the CFL, Olympics is really, really high. And there's a huge, huge, huge component. The other thing, as you said, for your event, it was 37 seconds. For my first Olympics in Athens, my event lasted 36 seconds. So I'm thinking, you're on skates, I'm on two wheels. This is absolutely like crazy when you think about the power outputage. You're going as fast, if not faster, than I did on my bicycle. So the training that goes into it. And I remember when we were in Athens, I don't know if you remember this, we were in the infield. It was you, Kurt Harnett and myself. And it was just before I was going off and we were talking about the mindset that you need to have. And we were talking about, now this is me going back in almost 19, 20 years. You said you saw everything. You could even see the camera. You saw everything. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm seeing like a pin drop, just what's in front of me. And it was so interesting when I heard that from you is just that everybody sees things from a different perspective. So, you know, what is your perspective when you were competing on just what was around you? What were you taking all in and yet shutting out? You know, I mean, and one of my good friends just recently said, I never realized, you always talk about 37 seconds. I thought you had round robins. I thought you had heats and semis. He said, I didn't realize it was once every four years, one race. And so that's, I think, where the pressure came to. You can't, you know, I talked to Danielle Goyette from the women's national hockey team, and she said, I can have a bad shift. She goes, I didn't even have a bad game. She goes, because I have how many 20 other girls to uh, to support me but i remember when i was 
in the zone. I Everything flowed on the ice really naturally. And then I was aware of my surroundings. So let me just say Olympic races, I wasn't always aware of my surroundings. They were good enough, but they weren't my best races. And I think the biggest thing when I retired is I had a close to perfect race. It was the Canadian record. And I mean, my kids think it's cool. I think it's a little bit sad. I still have the Canadian record from 2001, but it, that race was as close to perfect as it could have been, but of the last 50 meters weren't, but I had to come to grips that, there isn't a perfect race. It doesn't exist. And that to me is very difficult because I'm a bit of a perfectionist or at least was. And so that's, what's been, I think that's, that's probably the toughest thing when you're at that level to be a perfectionist and realize you can never achieve it. Katrina Lemay-Dones, our guest on Sports 1440. Kevin Carries along with Lori Ann Munzer. And so, Katrina, you did mention when you won in um, Salt Lake in 2002, was it a harder because you were defending your title that you won in 1998 in Nagano, but just the fact that you had maybe a target on your back and you were the hunted, everyone was coming, kind of gunning for you. Yeah, they were different. I mean, people look at my two gold and they say, which one's your favorite? And I'm like, that's like asking which one of my children is my favorite. (laughs) So really hard to answer. It depends on the day. Um, You know, I think, 98, I was recovering from, I'd fallen in 94, being ranked fifth in the world. So I was kind of overcoming my internal demons. But 2002, um, the fact that no Canadian individual had ever defended a gold, male, female, winter, summer, that's in over 100 years. That's a stat that's kind of hard to deal with. So, um, you know, then there was a flag bearer jinx. There was kind of everything was was going wrong around us. Two days before my race, my teammate Jeremy Weatherspoon took two steps off the line and fell, and he was expected to win. So it was just, I remember as a whole team, like as a Canadian team, we had the figure skating scandal. It was just sort of like, oh my goodness, what else can go wrong? And I remember as soon as I crossed the line, my physio had said, she goes, now everything is realigned and we can move forward. (laughs) And that's kind of how I felt. And when you hear words of wisdom like that, sometimes I think that takes a lot of the pressure off because a lot of times as you're shooting for the Olympics, you have to get it right. And then it becomes, well, I've got to get it perfect every time. And Mm -hmm. then the pressure just really mounts. And and I can relate to that a lot. But as an and as, as an athlete, you have to let that go. And I remember watching as you know some of your interviews before when you were a flag bearer is just okay. There's that jinx, but then it was just no. It's not a jinx. And you went out and you proved it. You did your best, and going from there is just it's what you do in the moment. So if you're speaking to athletes, because I know that you do a lot of speaking and that, what are the messages that you share with, you know, the next generation of athletes Mm -hmm. or students or, you know, business people as well? Mm -hmm. You know, and it's the same again, whether it's athletes, business people, um, you know, my day-to-day work is Sport Calgary, which is our community sport council. It's, it's community leaders also. It's the fact that you only control a certain amount. I mean, my goodness, it sounds so much easier than it really is, but our brains are so powerful and we just, we get ourselves out of sort of sorts. We just have to sort of simplify it and go step by step. And so, you know, we need to be realistic, but we also, I think often many of us, and, and I blame myself now what 
various times, we put ourselves in a comfort zone. We don't want to get out of the comfort zone because it's, you know, it's safe there. If, if all of a sudden we do really well, oh my goodness, we're going to stand out. We're going to be different. We're going to, you know, not fit in with the crowd. And that's intimidating, super intimidating. It, it, to me, it doesn't matter what we're talking about, any level of sport, any level of business, whatever industry, it, it's the same. And so we have to have that courage. But as I say that, you know, I mean, it's a day-to-day battle. It's an hour-by-hour hour battle for everybody. And that's normal. We're human, and we just make, we often make things way too complicated, which is probably why I drink wine. <laughs> <laughs> red or white? I'm a red person. <laughs> Very good. Um, so Katrina LeMay-Done is with us on Sports 1440. And you did mention a comfort level. So mm-hmm. without question, the 500 meters was your comfort level. When you went into the 1,000 meters and you mm-hmm. won the bronze in Nagano, how much harder was that race for you to perform at a world-class level? Yeah, it's funny. You know, a memory on Facebook um, and the Dutch, um, are it's their national sport. And so we're kind of... Speed skaters are kind of like the NHL players in the Netherlands. And um, just the other day, something came up about, it was 20 years since I broke the world record, 22 years in the 1500. And somebody posted saying, she never did that distance. And oh my goodness, I messaged right back. Yes, I did. So those longer distances for me, and I did the 15 in in two Olympics, never won a medal. Um, They were... You know they're they're tougher because you you can you have time to think, you know they're a minute and fourteen and then sort of a minute fifty five, but you can also fix little mistakes. So the five hundred is just so fast that it's almost a has to be perfect. So you know it's a real battle. But I remember when I won the bronze, I was just I was as proud of the bronze as I was of the gold because any one of ten women could have won it. So it was it's a mental battle. That that's the whole thing. Everybody can do the physical training and then it's all the other stuff. It's the you know, the prep, the warm up, the cool down, the hot cold, all of those things and it's the mental prep. So those those are the things, again, in every industry that dictate whether people succeed or whether they come and you know, just just short of their goal. Yeah, I totally agree on that. And when you were speaking earlier about simplifying the training, uh, simplicity is always a, a word that I use when I'm working with anyone. And it's just when it's simple, you break it down into smaller components, then it's easier to do. And then you can repeat it again and again. And it's really 95% of success is the mental game. And it's 5%, you know, yeah. planning and strategy. So going into closing ceremonies, I know that you've been flag bearer, opening and closing. You also lit the torch in Vancouver in 2010. Tell me about that, because I heard there was a little bit of a malfunction going on. (laughs) A little bit. (laughs) You know what's funny is, so last week, I mean, huge honor. I got to give the tribute to Christine Sinclair at her retirement. And I said to the producer, I said, you know, the last time I was out on the main field of BC Place, which that night was Christine Sinclair Place, I said was in 2010 in February. And he's like, oh, no, are you bad luck? (laughs) And I said, well, at least it's not BC Place now. So, um, you know, the memories of what happened in 2010 came back with the malfunction of the cauldron. But, um, yeah, you know, it's the simplicity is when when you look back at things, it's simple, but it's never simple when you, when you're planning it, when you're in the moment, things are never simple. And part of it is because we make it complicated, but you know, it's when I look back at my career, the, the things that stand out are, you know, not 
standing on the podium in Salt Lake singing the anthem of 20,000 people. But it's it's the training camps. It's the simple part. It's those memories. It's, you know, carrying the, carrying the torch on October 30th, uh, 2009 with Simon Whitfield. We were the first uh, torchbearers. That was one of the most powerful Olympic moments I've ever had. And then being chef de mission in 2022. Those are the simple moments that, to me, if if you know, today's my last day on this earth, then I look back at those things and those are the things that sort of give me joy because they're the ones that made an impact on the people around me. It's, it's, you know, Lorianne, you know, it's great to, to succeed and achieve your goals. It's what you do with the stuff. And that's where, you know, I've, I've met a lot of people who have had great success, whether you're talking pro sport, Olympic sport, whatever it is, but I'm only impressed with somebody if they take what they've done and they do something great with it, that's when I really respect people. Katrina LeMay owns our guest on Sports 1440. What was it like being the chef de mission in 2022 in Beijing? Yeah, I mean, it, it honestly was a dream come true. It was, uh, it was, you know, when I was named, it was, I, I almost get emotional now because it was just like I wanted it so badly. But it, it was tough because we're it was in the middle of COVID. We're in China. You know, there's no controversy there. But it was a time for me. You know, I look back and think, oh, what if I was chef in Italy? Just go drink wine and eat pasta. How great. It'd be Canada House. But it was the time for me because... You know, I really fight for the values of the Olympic Games and the values of sport. And for me, it was a time to help the athletes in whatever way. And so it was, um, you know, it was, there was no family of friends. So we were the family and it, might, it was tough. My mom had passed away two weeks before the games, but I went to the games being chef, but being, you know, sort of a mentor and being a mom to 215 athletes as well. So I kind of took on that role. And, you know, I'd always said I would never get the Olympic rings tattoo. And then I said to my kids, I'll get it if I'm ever chef to me still. Mm. So I got my Olympic rings tattoo eight weeks before the games, before the Beijing games. And for me, it was just, it was coming full circle. It was the fact that I'd been to four as an athlete, five as media. And then this was my second part of the mission team. And so it, it, it was amazing. It was it was honestly a dream come true. Wow, you have been to so many games, different experiences, and the wealth of just knowledge that you get to impart. I'm sure that all the athletes, you know, in in Beijing, really really appreciated you because there wasn't the usual. Um, experience of the Olympics. It was a different one, but that one you can also add too. And, you know, tell us about what's next for you. Like what's coming up in the next year or two years for you? (laughs) I don't know. Where's that crystal ball? Um, You know, it's, it's busy right now. Um, as I mentioned, I run Sport Calgary. So that's our Civic Sport Council. There's a Civic Sport Council in Edmonton. We got some extra funding from the city, which is great because we've tons of new initiatives and all our mandate is to introduce sport and play to all Calgarians. So it's all about free sport discovery. So the initiatives we're doing, I love it. I've, I'm learning a ton. And then I'm vice chair of Canada Games Council um, on various boards. And so everything I do is about community and sport at different levels. And that's what I love. I love people. I love the fact that Everybody can make an impact, and so in what ways can we make an impact? Um, you know, I, I I love I love travel, I love language, I love working with people. So 
you know, I, I want to keep doing what I'm doing, but I'm always, I'm always looking. I'm always looking for opportunities. So, you know, I'm about to, I'm kind of a Christmas baby, so I'm about to turn mm-hmm. 53. But, um, you know, I just kind of, I go, oh, age is just a number. I'm try, still trying to figure out what I'm going to do when I grow up. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty independent, which is also, uh, I am, I am my mother's daughter. I'm independent and stubborn. So good Lord, what a combination. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on this morning, mm-hmm. Katrina. That was a lot of fun. I was actually lucky enough to skate with you and all the rest of the media when I was working in Calgary in 1996 or seven. Yeah, oh, yeah, we, we those came, media days are fun. Yeah, I mean, I, all I know, I was way better than Glenn Campbell. <laughs> Doesn't I just want to know, were you wearing spandex? No, I was not wearing spandex. So. <laughs> but you did give me some pointers and it helped me out immensely. Thank you very much. Uh, awesome. And th- thanks so much for coming on today. It was, uh, yeah, I'm sure you had a nice time kind of reminiscing with Lorianne as well. So. Yeah, thanks. perfect. Thanks so much, you guys. Thanks, right. Katrina. That's Katrina LeMay Doan, two-time Olympic gold medalist and our headliner of the day for Mr. Reuter. There's a reason they call him Mr. For all your plumbing needs, you can go to mrreuter.ca. That was a lot of fun. That was. No, she's awesome. Yeah. And then we're going to go in from the, from the you know, one of the top speed skaters in the history of the sport mm-hmm. to a Canadian music icon. Yes. Carol Legends. Pope. Yes. Carol Pope from Rough Trade will be our guest on the Kevin Carey Show with Lorraine Munzer right after the break. Stay with us. All right. Here we go now. Duke, we're rocking with some uh, Carol Pope and Rough Trade as we welcome in one of the, uh, well, a Canadian music legend. You have to say that. Uh, Carol, welcome to Sports 1440. You're with Kevin Carius and your friend, Lorianne Munzer. Welcome to the show. Hey. Good morning, Carol. <laughs> great Good to morning. have you. So you guys go kind of way back? Yeah. 2005, I don't know if you remember, Carol, you were playing at Reds here in West Edmonton Mall. That's where our studio is located. Yeah. Uh, we were in the middle of the World uh, Track and Field Championships and Masters Games, and I <laughs> saw rough trade coming to Edmonton. And I said, well, if they're ever coming to Edmonton, I'm going. And that night uh, got to see you and Kevin Staples perform and then uh, ended up going backstage with you. Yeah, I remember that. What do you remember about it, Carol? Um, just the, what do I remember? I remember meeting Lorianne and I remember... Yeah, it was a great venue, mm-hmm. and I also think I went to the Edmonton Mall, which I can't get over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's we're big. in the mall right now. That's where our studio is located, as Lori had mentioned. So it's a pretty big mall. So you must have had some fun here when you were here. It's just that that pool, whatever that wave pool or whatever that thing <laughs> is. That's insane. <laughs> so let's just discuss your career with the uh, you know with rough trade and the hits that you guys had what was it like i guess to go back uh, and if you can just kind of reminisce in a little bit about you know the the 40 odd years that have passed from you know when you guys were uh, rolling out the hits i guess um well it's been an amazing ride we're still doing it we're still performing actually we were just in edmonton this summer um playing a festival that got rained out um and uh yeah it was was still happening we just uh were inducted into canada's uh rock of fame which is part of canada's walk of fame congratulations Um, thank you so yeah we're still doing it and i'm doing solo stuff 
And what else? And my big project is working on Rough Trade, the musical right now, which I'm trying to make happen. So what's the genesis behind that? Uh, that is takes place in New York in the 80s. Um, it's based on, on my brother's life, but there's a, a lot of Rough Trade songs. And Chilena Kennedy is playing me, who was in... Um, on Broadway in a show called Beautiful, and she just actually played Billie Jean King mm. in a play about <laughs> Billie Jean King's life. <laughs> nice. Um, so, yeah, yeah, New York 80s, uh, ACT UP, the AIDS crisis, uh, the whole glam scene, and that's basically it. Nice. And when are we going to be seeing that in production there, and, and are you going to be coming out to Edmonton with the musical? I don't know. We just have to find producers. I mean, um, musicals are very, very expensive. We've workshopped it a couple of times. Uh, you know, these things cost like a million dollars. So yes. we have to have somebody throw some money at it. But <laughs> we'll probably do another. We'll probably do another workshop in New York and, or Toronto, and then hopefully somebody will pick it up. Uh, Canadian rock legend Carol Pope with us on the Kevin Carrier Show on Sports 1440 with our co-host on Monday's Lorianne Munzer. So when you first met uh, Lorianne, Carol, did you guys talk about her exploits into cycling? And did you follow her kind of at that point? And I guess vice versa with the following of Carol's career. So you go ahead, Carol, and then and then Lorianne can kind of discuss that after as well. Well, yeah. I mean, I didn't know that much about cycling, but I... I definitely went to one of your practices, mm-hmm. and I was just amazed. I mean, I'm just astounded that you can ride a bike at that angle. I mean, that you can pick up. I don't know what I'm talking about, but you know what I mean. Yep. You can pick up that much speed, and then you're basically horizontal, and you're zooming by. We were down at the um, L.A., I think it was called the Superdrome or something, where, where their velodrome was. Um, EDS was a big sponsor back then, so I think that's what it was named. And I invited Carol down because she was living in uh, L.A., so really close. She came down, and, uh, you know, we had talked about cycling. She goes cycling uh, a lot, whether she's uh, Toronto, New York, or L.A. And I said, well, maybe come see something different, you know. Bike has one gear, no brakes. We ride on a, well, 37, 45-degree angle. Top speed, 60, 65K an hour. And uh, so, yeah, she got to experience that and uh, see a whole other world of, of cycling in that. Well, my bike still has training wheels on, Carol. I don't know about yours. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it probably will need training wheels. No, I love, but I haven't been able to bike because I've been in New York. And then I'm actually back in L.A. for a while, so I'm going to probably get a new bike and get up again so the hits that you guys pumped out i guess i guess high school confidential is probably top of the list and all touch no contact is up there as well but when you were composing these and and writing and putting down all the the lyrics and and everything else just can you kind of go back to that time of your life and how you were wanting to kind of put you know thoughts and words to and music to to paper uh well high school confidential was actually written for a movie that we were working on called cruising uh in 1980 which is 
uh, you know, we're working on this, just writing songs for the soundtrack, and uh, they rejected that song, and I was like, I'm going to do it. <laughs> so that's how that happened. And and All Touch is just about, you know, being at parties and not really connecting with people or people wanting to connect with you for superficial reasons. Um I mean, yeah, that was my my motivation for writing that song. Interesting. You've been nominated and received like three Junos, three Casbys, um, Canada's Indie Hall of Fame, rock fame now. What was it like when you received the call or the notification, the email saying, all right, you're in? How was that? Walk us through that. It was just super, you know, just incredibly exciting to be recognized as an artist. It's always, it's always great to be validated for your work. So, you know, uh, I just feel honored. And Kevin and I always feel honored by anything, any kind of accolades that we get. Nice. And are you and Kevin working on any other projects together? I mean, besides performing together, you know, across the country, um, any talk of an album, a CD coming out? Mm, not really. Although I did release something and then did not promote it called uh, <laughs> Rough Trade Live from 19, it's 1979 to 1980. So you can get that. That's our live performances in a couple of clubs. Okay. Uh, and we're just on stage. And, um, yeah, it sounds pretty good. So that is available. Um, and we also did a new version of High School Confidential, the Fame Horror Mix, um, a couple of years ago. But that's it. Because uh, I'm working on solo stuff. Uh, you know, because I have a whole solo career. Mm-hmm. Right. So when all these songs were coming out, uh, Carol, as Carol Pope joins us on Sports 1440, um, you know, I always think about the songs that get played in, you know, whether it be at a football game, a hockey game. You always hear, you know, during commercial breaks. Do you recall if they were playing any of any of your songs back then? And also, what was it in the in the late 70s, early 80s? I guess, did you have a connection with some sports teams or did you follow sports uh, kind of at that period of time when you were with the band? Mm, not really. Um, I, yeah, I'm not really into hockey or football mm-hmm. or anything. I like tennis, but I can't remember. I mean, I saw the Williams sisters play each other once, and that was phenomenal. But, um, no, I'm not a big sports person. But everybody I work with is. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, uh, but you're friends with an Olympic gold medalist. I am. Oh, I love the Olympics. That's yeah. a whole other thing. That's like, to me, that is a real, mm-hmm. real talent. Like, you know, Olympic athletes are like just, uh, I'm sorry, you know, yeah. I think that they're more skilled than you know, somebody playing football. Well, it's tough. I mean, we just had Katrina LeMay Doan on and she was talking about the similar situation that Lorianne has in the sense that their event is less than 40 seconds in the Olympics and you train for four years and all of a sudden your event's over in less than a minute. So for you performing, what do you get most about 
out of performing? What do you like the most about when you're on stage and performing? Well, it's just it's a phenomenal feeling. It's kind of an out-of-body feeling when you just, you know, you, you just kind of lose yourself in singing. And um, it doesn't matter how you feel physically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just forget all that because you're just out there. You know, it's just, like, just about channeling joy, I think. And so, if it isn't, then you shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. It's a similar thing when you're performing whatever it is in sports. entertainment in sports. Yeah. Because you are channeling and you're trying to, to figure things out. Hey, Carol, we want to really thank you for your time. Thanks for reconnecting here with Laurie. I appreciate it. And thanks for coming on. Good luck with the musical and, and your other future endeavors uh, in the next uh, little bit. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Carol. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. That's Carol Pope, a Canadian rock legend. And just to, you know, it's not all sports. You know, we got to branch off. We had country music uh, superstars in here. I thought Carol would, I thought she might have a little more connection to sports in the 80s. I think she does. You know. But it's not directly. I think it's us listening to her music, her and Kevin's music. Yeah, no, you know what I mean, though? Because back in the day, you're looking looking back in the day where there was so many, I guess there was a connection you had. I mean, the Oilers are starting to roll, right? Mm -hmm. And and I mean, I'm sure, I'll I'll bet anything that a lot of those guys back in the 80s, they would have gone and seen Carol Pope in Rough Trade. Oh, probably. You know, I mean, I'm talking like Wayne Gretzky, Mark Matt, all these guys, even out east. And if she's based out of Toronto at that time doing more stuff out east, I'm betting a lot of the guys would have seen Rough Trade perform. Oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So thanks for uh, another solid couple of hours, Lord. What's on the go this weekend for you? Uh, riding, riding, Ooh. riding, Spinner. and then the show on uh, on Friday, and then Monday back here in the studio with you. Text coming in one eight three three four zero one fourteen forty. High school confidential got a lot of play at our high school as we had a radio station that would play music in the hallways. Very relatable lyrics for young kids entering high school and looking at all the new ladies. Uh, Carol Pope, brilliant, comes from Russian Bob uh, again. Just at certain time, like it's it's forty five years ago almost. Yes, you know when that when those songs were coming out. Yep. So and they were popular. Believe, believe very much yeah. so. All right, Lauren. Thanks for uh, checking in, coming in, coming on. You Appreciate betcha. It. Happy uh, Monday. Happy Monday. We'll see you back here Monday, and then again Friday at three o'clock with Jason Greger. You betcha. When we come back, top of the hour, it we are. St. Albert Dodge, game of the day, and it's kind of a little bit of a twist. We're going to go back to yesterday's Oilers game off ice and what they were doing with the next gen. Plus, we will also preview the uh, Calgary-Colorado NHL game. That's coming up at the top of the hour. Before that, here is the Duke Goodell, Brandon Douglas with a Sports 1440 update.